The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I am Tim Jackson. Flying solo once more this week. TC and I really wanted to be back together this week around. We know it's been a minute since we've both been able to hop on and be with you. But ultimately, a last-minute scheduling conflict came up for TC, so I'm here today to go in-depth with you on some of the great work being done at PitcherList and elsewhere uh, around the baseball sphere on the current lockout. And uh, there are enough people writing about this right now where enough interesting perspectives are being considered, enough details are being revealed, or having a light shined on them in such a way where it's really worth taking a moment to sit back and try to capture some of what it all means, try to process or synthesize it in such a way where we are able to uh, both still enjoy baseball and appreciate the people who play it, uh, while not necessarily separating ourselves from the finances of the game, but ultimately, hopefully, trying to uh, understand them and grasp them in a way that really emphasizes the way it works, the way it all comes together, the way that the sausage, so to speak, gets uh, made. Because without this, we kind of just float through, and we have people who like uh, national writers of various report ultimately giving what is really a pro-owner spin. And... There's always more than one side to an argument, like any any coin, there are two sides inherently. And what I'd like to do is start with uh, Zach Hayes and what he's been doing at Pitcher List with recapping the lockout by week. And so far, Zach's done two of these. He's hoping not to do too many of them. Uh, and of course, for us at this point, too many as any. But if it lingers on, we're hoping that we get more out of it. And that's that's what Zach's doing. He's He's really wrenching through some of this stuff and pulling in a bunch of these other sources. And so in his first piece on the lockout, he notes throughout that uh, instead invoking the specter of a strike to justify a lockout reveals the core of MLB's position. This is a really critical statement to make because it is a lockout and not a strike. And the difference, of course, is that the players are not the ones who initiated it, that this is one of MLB's major claims, one thing that Rob Manfred has repeated on a pretty consistent basis, as anybody with a talking point does when they hammer it home, this is something they quote-unquote had to do. Let that linger for a moment. MLB feels that they had to stop its players from associating with its team's facilities. 
because that was the quickest way to reach a new contract. Uh, it ignores all sorts of caveats, like they haven't really come to the table in the past uh, with any serious offer in, in recent history. Uh, ignores that a lockout isn't mandatory for any extended period of time or any short period of time. Uh, and that's where Zach goes on to say that Manfred and league owners are unilaterally resistant to any structural changes that would be a net benefit to the players, that the owners' own economic philosophy requires instant winners and losers. That means that they need to be the winners and the players need to be the losers. That means that the structural changes as they are right now represent something that is immensely favorable to them. And they'll tell us otherwise. They'll tell us, well, it's really hard for smaller market teams to compete and collectively we lost you know billions of dollars with a with with the covid season last year and you know some teams are still recovering there's always always more to go on than just the face value of MLB's word if for no other reason than historically they have not earned anybody taking them at their word so Zach goes on to detail that anything that's good for the players is necessarily a bad thing for the owners necessarily that that's how ownership views it that if the owners have more then the players have less, it's fine. If the players have more and they have less, it's very bad. It's bad for the health of the game. It's bad for each of those owners. It's bad for every single fan. When that's really probably not the case because the very nature of a union insists on the collective body making less as individuals than anybody up top that they're negotiating with. That That's just a facet of, of unionized work. And so... Uh, to preempt the MLBPA, says Zach, from striking months before it becomes a necessity, which would be what happens if MLB let this play out, if they didn't really continue to negotiate, uh, if they continued rather instead to negotiate in poor or bad faith altogether, the union would be forced to probably strike, right? Nobody's going to play under this context without an agreement. There are fields that operate without agreements, uh, like teaching. And that's, of course, where my, my day job experience comes in. There are places that the schools the, and, the, and the Board of Education, the contract runs out, and they uh, basically have a stay of that contract for a year while they continue to, quote-unquote, negotiate or ideally continue to negotiate. Uh, and, of course, we talk frequently on this podcast about touchstones, and those are our reference points. So that's my reference point. Uh, and that's how I know some organizations do function without a contract. But MLB really isn't one to, like, like there's really nothing to gain for the players to do that, right? Like, a school year has to come. Uh, this this emphasizes that the, the necessity of baseball in a very different means, a very different context than a lot of things, like like it is for most things, right? We, we can't really look at it through the lens of, well, I do this job for X amount of dollars. They play this kid's game, and they get paid way more. It's not really how it works because the the money is so grand that the a single player's salary, in particular the average player, the the below average player, the guy, the the twenty sixth man on the roster, isn't making such a magnificent amount as to uh, really be categorized in the same stratosphere as Max Scherzer signing for however many million dollars per year, right? Max Scherzer, any big name like that who signed before the uh, Im- then impending lockout a few weeks ago. But when Zach says that uh, MLB preempting the PA 
the Players Association from striking months before it becomes a necessity, is an admission that their bargaining strategy will ultimately leave players no recourse but to strike. They want to force the players' hands. Rob Manfred has basically said as much that this is the best way for baseball to get a deal as quickly as possible. They're getting that deal as quickly as possible in Rob Manfred's perspective because they are forcing the the most voices in the PA for the Players Association to say, hey, I can't, we, we need this. I can't go on like this. Like, I don't make enough. There are more guys making very little than there are big guys making a ton of money. And that nature itself is is almost getting the union or going for the union to feed off of itself, to fight with itself, to push a deal across the line that ultimately serves them just enough as players and the league way more than that to keep things business as usual, to get on with the actual business and keep it usual, to make sure that there is a status quo maintained. This is something I've seen where contracts get ratified and they're not necessarily good deals, but people don't really want to get into it. Uh, And generally speaking, we don't have backgrounds with learning that uh, really push a kind of ground up, a kind of collective idea in terms of unions being a positive. Uh, So people have have a hard time grasping the ultimate value of it. They have a hard time grasping what a small sacrifice now could do ultimately down the road in preventing that, in improving that for them and many other people. It's a really, really hard human condition to process because we are so used to seeing things right away in front of us. And, and, and part of it is just nature, right? Like that's how we survive. So while we're getting into bigger ideas with this context, that's kind of what every labor talk is about. That's kind of the, the point with labor talks is that people who can afford to wait you out will do it so you can ultimately take whatever you, you're you being offered. Uh, so it's a, it's a very large-scale idea, especially through the context of baseball, something that is ultimately frivolous. But it's also something that is indicative of a larger whole, a larger moment that is possible here for the PA, which I think is worth emphasizing. Like This is 50-plus years in the making since Kurt Flood in the early 70s. Uh, and ultimately, like the the game is still the same in that they players just want things better. Revenues for them have been down relative to what the league has been making for years, like years and years. Like as long as a lot of people have been fans, it's been that way. You're talking 15, 20 years for the better part. Really, it's coming in far better to be an owner than it is to be a player. And that's why Zach says, you know, that it might seem dubious or obvious uh, that the league wants to kind of squeeze players here, that they won't have a, any weapon left in their in their coffers except a strike. But however it feels, he says, it does not signal good faith from Manfred & Co. The very nature of this kind of move from an ownership group, from the commissioner's office, means that they are looking to do this as fast and ruthlessly as possible they are not looking at this from an individual perspective they are not looking at the careers and lives it could set up afterward they are not looking at it from the sense of well maybe they don't have enough they want this thing over with
and the biggest way to get it over with is not to put their their hands, you know, put their foots down to draw a line in the sand, but it's to really put their foot on the door, right? And really put pressure against the door, really make it hard for the players to open up. And in Zach's second piece of lockout updates, he has one paragraph, one excerpt that I think is really critical, uh, and this is where some of my own bias comes in too as a, as a content teacher for English, uh, mentioning that the vocabulary and excuse-making used by the league and the ownership sides have hardly changed in a half century. Neither have their negotiating tactics, in spite of the binding nature uh, of a previous landmark arbitration decision. The league wasted no time filing a lawsuit in a last-ditch effort to stem the tide of free agency and blatantly renege on the deal they had made with the nascent MLB Players Association. This goes back again to the early 70s, to the really the birth of the Players Association at large. And the one critical thing to truly take away from this is that most everything in the context, as we're getting it in labor relations from league sources, or from the league itself explicitly, or from mouthpieces like Buster Olney, who is really, that's what he does at this point. <laughs> He's uh, very casually pro-owner and very assertively um, claiming he, he's neutral. When I, I think there are plenty of things to, to go into with Buster's coverage of certain things. Uh, I don't know that we need to go in-depth here, but it, you know, you read Zach's piece, you'll, you'll get notes on Buster only. You'll, you'll get notes on him from, my, I believe, Mark Normandon at, at BP, too, uh, whose work will go on the cover in a moment. Uh, but ultimately, everything in this context is presented as new from ownership, from ownership sources, from league sources, from league office sources, from journalists who ultimately get their stories from these people 95% of the time or however, you know, majority, overwhelming majority of the time, their sources are coming from people inside the league uh, and not from the players, right? They're getting them from front office types and so on. Uh, so anything that comes from them actually has an extensive history, actually starts from somewhere. And this is also a very human thing. We tend to think of technology or moments or issues or celebrations as of that time, that thing immediately in front of us that we created, that we influenced exclusively and directly right then and there over what we deem to be a short period of time. When in reality, most of what comes down to what we enjoy or take in or are impacted by are things that we've really been impacted by for a long, long time. This is the idea of the Anthropocene, the current geologic age in which we, people, human beings, emphasize and influence a ton of change on the environment around us. Uh, so when you think of players and Major League Baseball in particular, what you are left with is not something new, is not the first labor struggle since 1994-95 in major sports across America, because hello, Buster Only, the, the NHL has had multiple lockouts uh, in recent times, uh, even in the last uh, 10-15 years. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not just that, it's that we're going back here a long, long time, that the league has always said the players are looking for too much, it makes 
it, it makes competitive balance too hard. Um, outlandish claims like Manfred made about fans don't like seeing players leave during free agency. Well, like, no, nobody does. But also, like, nothing's stopping those teams from signing other big free agents. It's not that they dislike free agency. It's that they dislike, truly, their owner's not willing to pay for that player anymore. But it gets conflated and the message gets mixed up when you have people saying, well, that player just wanted too much. What's too much? Somebody was willing to give it to them, so what's too much? It's really a question that has to be considered. It it goes into the concept of being overpaid. Well, if somebody's willing to pay you that, are you overpaid? Or were you just happened to to get what was a quote-unquote good deal, right? Like, the perspective that we are often working from is one that is not necessarily open enough to say that people deserve what they get, uh, that if they sign a bad deal, well, then it's their fault. Then it's their, it's not that they didn't, they definitely earned it then. It's not like if Max Scherzer suddenly has dead arm constantly through this new contract with the Mets, that people are going to feel bad for him. Well, he's still getting paid. Well, I, you know, see, I told you it wasn't worth it. It's not really the point. What you are worth is what someone has been paid. You, and you can either agree with that and see how it works in terms of benefits for the player, or you can kind of flip it off and say, well, I'll choose and pick when I, when I decide that it works. I'll say that it works when it works out well for my team, or, or when a player's hurting, I can say I told you so, uh, but I won't choose it when it doesn't work out for my team, and I can't say I told you so. Well, yeah, he, he did earn that. It was a big risk, but he earned that contract by the end. It's a dubious claim at best, something else Zach mentioned in that first piece, right? Uh, and this is this is everywhere. This is like you, you think a cell phone is new. You think a touchscreen is new. You think uh, the computer chips and devices are new or camera phones or whatever it is, right? Like, it's not. Everything comes with a history. We don't think of scratch and sniff stickers as having these micro capsules in them that release the scent that really, if it's coated well, will stay there for decades, if not a hundred years, right? We don't think of the long-term impact down the road, and we don't think of uh, things coming from somewhere else. We don't think of Taco Bell basically ripping off a a local place nearby because they did tacos better than the actual Taco Bell start. Uh, and and where that family came from and and what they do now, right? Like, we have a, a tendency to just look immediately in front of us. The Taco Bell thing, by the way, is if you're unfamiliar, is basically the outline to SpongeBob and Plankton always trying to steal the recipe to the Krabby Patty, uh, uh, so he can bring it to the the Chum Bucket and uh, make himself more successful. Uh, very similar to the Taco Bell vibes, but again, the idea is that like we don't know how far back things go, and we don't know, we don't see the impact of them long term. All we see is in front of us, and what we feel like we know is everything. Uh, when in fact, we really probably are just zoomed in on a single piece of the puzzle. Which I now like we're really off the rails. We're talking about Taco Bell and SpongeBob and scratch and sniff stickers. Really, the idea here is just that. It's not new. We're working with conditions that have been created for some time. In this context, particular with this CBA that just expired between the league and the Players Association, we're going back at least five years, right? We There were people immediately who said this is not a good deal for the players. They, they really 
left themselves vulnerable. And we saw them exploited. We saw how free agency really became a matter of what teams were willing to pay. And, and you know what? Fine. We got other bodies. And fine. We, we, we understand player death now. And fine. We'll just develop these platoon guys who can play together, who can split the games. And we'll do it for a fraction of the cost. And if you don't like that, then you can look for a, an at-value deal elsewhere. And if you shrug at it and say, I need a contract, great, because we just got you for millions of dollars cheaper than we would have really liked to have paid. We got a great deal. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show And then even before that, like we're saying, this goes back decades for MLB. Their their labor has been an issue for 50-plus years. To say that labor has been um, at peace is really a pro-ownership stance in and of itself. This is something that Craig Calcaterra, with his uh, his daily newsletter, Cup of Coffee, has emphasized that, that the idea of peace... Or actually, this is Mark Normandon, too, and Craig has, has added additional work into Mark's, but um, labor peace for who right like it it's an ownership thing they don't want the stoppage the players are willing to do it to get what they feel is their fair share ownership doesn't want it so labor peace really circles around their ideals Uh, and ultimately that really puts us in a spot to kind of lampoon some things which is what sean roberts at pitcher liz did uh most recently with a with so if you're not familiar, Rob Manfred wrote the a letter to baseball fans, right? And, and posted it up on MLB's site. What Sean did and what Sean does on a regular basis is, is take the idea and, and just go off the wall silly with it in a really accessible way. Uh, and he wrote another letter to baseball fans in the voice of Rob Manfred. And he goes on to lampoon the idea that the league is not being uh, fair to players. He goes on to say that the players have plenty of opportunities, right? As Manfred joking, well, now we really mean it that the players will have extra opportunities to earn money uh, by making 725 or more in some states uh, by working concessions between batting practice and the game, uh, that they will be able to enable competition from the league office this upcoming uh, CBA by allowing all 30 teams into the playoffs so they all have a shot to lift that, quote, hunk of metal, as Manfred so endearingly called the World Series trophy at seasoned end. Uh, Sean goes on to joke about the opening up the, the opening up century-old books of finances, showing expenses and comparing them to current earnings, annihilating uh, current earnings, annihilating even Babe Ruth's. How about that? Did you know 
that all that money spent in free agency dwarfed the career earnings of Babe Ruth, arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, baseball player of all time. What Sean does is make the preposterous a really fun time. Uh, he he kind of lays out his points uh, in this satirized version of Rob Manfred to note that the league has acted in such a way for so long. You see the dots here between this and, and Zach's idea and piece that uh, we're working with extensive history here, that the league has acted in such a way for so long that the only way to truly grasp their current actions in some contexts is to satirize them, is to laugh at them, is to kind of emphasize like the peasants in Monty Python who spot the king and, you know, he says, oh, that must be a king. And another one next to him as they're digging in mud says, well, how do you know that? And he says, easy, he hasn't got crap all over him, right? Like just by knowing that the owners don't have stories coming out about them truly that mimic anything close to like what minor leaguers are going through right now and this is a bit of a separate issue because minor leaguers don't have a seat at the table that is probably an issue that the PA won't address this time around but hopefully as these talks go really maybe sets it up to happen sometime in the future because they've been sold out too long as a minor league association uh, or player basically in the sense that like they are bargaining chips and Current players don't mind kind of sending them up the river, so to speak. Uh, but to to frame that from an ownership perspective, we just don't see it. We don't see any stories about owners having an equivalent of a peanut butter and jelly at best as their post-game meal. We don't see owners having stories written about them sleeping six to uh, a two-bedroom or two-room apartment, right, or more. We don't hear stories about owners and their long bus rides between games or lack of equipment or part-time pay. Like, right, like we know baseball is a year-round thing and we know that owners, given the deals they have through merchandising at least, which can sell any time of the year, are making money potentially any time of the year and that they have a high season through the season that they have regional sport network contracts that pay them guaranteed money beyond what players make, well beyond what players make for years at a time, which may be running out, but isn't really a player issue. That's that's something that they'll find a new resource for, right? The teams, of course, are always looking for new ways to make money. And so when one thing kind of dries up or slows down, another kind of pops up. It's not that the water goes away, it's that it finds another way out. So we've got two pieces so far, a picture list from Zach Hayes emphasizing that we are dealing with an extensive history of labor relations in which the league kind of makes every effort possible to skirt paying players more. We've got another at picture list of Sean uh, Roberts lampooning the way that the league acts and, and really uh, grounding it and making it an absurd thing to really truly grasp. And that brings us to Mark Norman's analysis of Manfred's letter. I think that Zach and, and Sean both at least referenced. Uh, and Mark, we, we mentioned this a little bit last time. I understand that in terms of the money being spent. Or the last time I was on with you. Uh, so really a, a few weeks back. That the money being spent is a sign overall that's positive 
for baseball's health because there's no way teams are spending that money. There's no way owners, the same group saying that they can't compete now by and large because of big free agent contracts, are giving out money if they aren't being guaranteed as many chances for players to demonstrate that value as possible. And in Mark's piece, he has a, a, an excerpt here that's really valuable, just like the ones we've been reading before. He says that, of course, no one, quote, forced MLB to stage this lockout. This is what Manfred has said, right? We covered this a little bit up top, that MLB felt their hand was forced. This was the quickest way to make a deal. And Mark goes on to say that there is nothing that causes a lockout to begin when a collective bargaining agreement expires outside of the owners voting to begin one when a CBA agreement expires. This is an owner-driven choice. The players did not sit there and hold a Jacob deGrom fastball up at their chest and say, you sign this lockout paperwork right now or else. There's nothing like that at all happening. Players would love to still be able to go into team facilities. Players would love to still have contact. Teams would still love GMs and front offices. The the chance to talk trades and talk things other than players off the 40-man or international prospect stuff. like that. That's what they're doing right now. And there was a huge flurry of activity. We saw it, but teams were working that much more around the clock. Them and their front offices and, those, and the departments within them. Before the lockout happened, because they knew this was coming, because MLB feels the need to squeeze the players. That's the goal here. And that's why Mark says that if anyone forced the lockout, it was MLB itself. And I don't just mean in the, quote, they alone had the power to announce a lockout way, end quote. The lack of engagement on economic issues made it very clear the plan was to wait until the CBA expired so they could lock the players out and force a resolution that would harm the union's chances of changing the status quo. This, there are a couple of things that are really critical here. The league's lack of engagement on economic issues such as not really even bringing, not like revealing a full plan to the union from their side without the union dropping major talking points before they even saw the deal. Like, no, if you guys want to see our deal, you got to, you got to, you got to drop these big issues you're bringing up. We don't, you know, that this is a good deal. This is like Will Arnett interviewing for Michael, uh, for Steve Carell's job in the office once Michael Scott moved to, moved away right to left the show um they say you know he says i've got a three-step plan that'll quadruple your, your sales or something and they're like oh really wow the hiring committee wow what is it he's like, oh, I, I can't tell you my plan that's my plan if i tell you my plan you'll just steal it mlb tried to play faulty will arnett character and say you guys are not being reasonable as if you why would we trust them why on earth would anybody trust anybody in any circumstance that says i've got this great deal for you you just need to give up some important values first um why would anyone do that let alone the players association with with an ownership group that would prefer it didn't even exist like absolutely wild that that the league would propose that way uh it's absolutely wild that really the union really just wants a status quo adjustment they don't want some, like, like, not every player isn't getting a tractor and a water slide 
written into their contract along with million dollar bonuses for every 10 games played right like it's it's not it's not really an absurd purpose and pursuit for the union at this point in time and that's what mark is really saying that unions are seeking seeking a new status quo in general Ah, that's me that's me imposing unions any union that most businesses don't want to recalibrate like that because they view it not as a recalibrating but as a re realignment as as a as a rebirth as a reconstruction and that's really terrifying and scary and oh what if this happens what if that happens well the building seems sturdy enough now why can't you just deal with it the idea is again to ultimately embrace the sense of a rising tide lifts all boats not everybody gets a yacht right that's not what the union's going for they want livelihoods commensurate with the profits being made by the game regardless what it what it could look like to somebody working on a much more normalized pay scale right like that that's what everybody would want they want to be working on the pay scale that they deserve not necessarily the one they have and the one you have shouldn't be reason to not work for something more than what you do currently right the idea is to get better incrementally the idea is that everybody should enjoy the boat so yeah, we're not looking to drastically reshape the game. That was hilarious that teams can't compete. Well, maybe if, if teams can't compete because other teams are quote-unquote spending too much or players are quote-unquote demanding too much, maybe they shouldn't be a team. Maybe they should find a new owner. Maybe the solution isn't being a part of Major League Baseball at that point. So Mark goes on to detail things like how the Players Association, uh, their vision for MLB would threaten the ability of most teams to be competitive. And he says that vying, uh, that vies for the most significant lie in Manfred's entire letter. And I know that letter came out a few weeks ago. I know we touched on this when it did come out a very little bit as we got into the hot stove stuff. But the idea is that like Manfred's letter really does drive home major conceits that are truly baffling baffling like their major conceits are conceded that is a wild proposition for the league to pose um and mark he says it explicitly that the pa's demands are actually fairly reasonable and that they resemble the kind he writes about when he's discussing what should be realistically done and not what he writes when he discusses what he wishes would happen this is where we get the sense of a rising tide lifts all boats not everybody gets a yacht the players don't all want a yacht they want to be on a higher tide, and that's a very reasonable, realistic thing, one, to pursue for anybody to be able to appreciate, or the vast majority of people, 90 plus percent, right? But two, especially given the framework of MLB being a billions and billions and billions dollars of process of every owner and ownership group being worth billions of dollars, of the teams being worth billions of dollars, to the point where only a small handful of people in the world can even possess them. It's the idea that a rising tide lifts all boats. And I know I've said it three times now, but it's really just that simple. It's that we all want to be able to enjoy the boats we have. And really, frankly, it's a reasonable thing to ask for given how profitable MLB has been. And with that, we come to this note that Mark uh, and Craig Goldstein have noted about regional sports networks that teams really do seek to privatize the profits and socialize the losses right they, they can tell you they lost 
$3 billion during the COVID year when really it's $100 million per team, which is really not that much, especially when you consider that they all have contracts that offset that amount with regional sports networks, uh, and that money won't be there forever. But again, that's not the player's problem. The value is there. Other things are happening. The league has proposed additional revenue streams that would come in for them, like a subscription uh, service that would ultimately feature all games, except I think local market games somehow still. Um, And the idea, again, is that MLB isn't forward with its money because it's beneficial for it not to be. That's why you can't really get a look at their books, why they they scoff at the idea, why the Ricketts are insisting that they're poor despite all their real estate holdings. Similar things have happened elsewhere. This is why uh, the Atlanta got the county down there to, to basically pay for its new stadium and the tax offset uh, loopholes, which pretty much every team exposes at this point, uh, forced libraries to close, public libraries, which are like institutions in which have been celebrated going back to all the way to the start of their history as places for people to convene when they had nowhere else to be. Like you're talking about a collective that's been designed for the shared good of others almost since its inception in libraries and baseball forced some of those to close because they needed money because otherwise they they would not have the money to afford a new stadium. Like that's that's the bottom line, right? That places and teams are always finding every loophole possible. They're designed on efficiency. Everything that makes the Rays great as a baseball development program also makes them vicious business owners, right? Like their owner can afford things. It's not that he can't. It's that he chooses not to. It's that he chooses to find other ways to get them for cheaper. Uh, It's that sports owners are notorious tax cheats thanks to asset classification loopholes that they feed this info to journalists on the regular to alter perception of their finances, that it's a wonder anyone ever believes a thing that they say about money, as Mark noted. Uh, And that really does emphasize that everything here is built from the ground up. Pretty much everything you can think of is built from the ground up, right? Like, you're not floating a tabletop and installing the legs underneath it as it floats in midair. You're not building a shelf for the top and then putting the legs on. You build it from the legs and ground up. And when it comes down to baseball, the players are the ground. It's not that they're millionaires because, one, only really truly a small majority is. There is a 26-man roster right now. There's a 40-man roster that really most teams churn through. And by and large, those players are not millionaires. And by and large, they don't get to stick around long enough to hit a big payday. So there's that aspect of it. But it's also the fact that the players are the product. And that as the product, they really dictate its existence at all, right? Like I think I believe this is in one of Zach's pieces that the players could make a living playing baseball tomorrow if MLB ceased to exist. The owners could not get money from baseball, at least presumably right away, because they don't have the physical talent that actually creates the game. They're just there at the, go- at the doorstep, at the gate, guarding the coffers and manufacturing them in such a way, and manufacturing access to it in such a way that they benefit as much as humanly possible, even if it's at the expense of other humans. So biggest takeaways this week on breaking is that everything is built from the ground up, that players are the groundwork in baseball. They are the foundation, and it can't be built without them. Uh, That the union is not seeking anything grand or uh, exorbitant, that they are really looking for a new status quo that 
raises the quality for everyone across the board in a really modest way. Uh, that the league has acted in such a way for so long that the only way to grasp their current actions is to satirize them, is to exaggerate and make them outlandish. Uh, that most everything that's presented as new here from the league is not new at all, that it's something they've been working on for a long time. Even Daniel Epstein of BP has noted that recently in a piece that these things come with playbooks. These these union efforts, anti-union efforts, come with playbooks, and, and we're seeing a play out. We're seeing MLB's playbook right now, and that the very existence of a union, frankly, implies that one side is trying to take advantage of another. So with that... We hope you guys are enjoying the offseason. We love that you've come and you're hanging out with us. We would love some positive feedback. If you rate us five stars, you leave us a comment. It means the absolute world. And ultimately, uh, TC and I will be back together soon. You can catch him at TC Zenka, Z-E-N-C-K-A, at MLBTR, around Pitcher List. We just hired a bunch of new people uh, as, as contributors, so look out for all of these new voices who will be developing uh, look out for them all in the Discord too with PL Plus. Catch me at Tim Jackson says. Catch the pod at Breaking Pod PL, and you could email us at Breaking Pod PL at gmail.com. We would love to hear your questions, especially now we've got time, and especially in this context because there ain't no real baseball to talk about in terms of Major League Baseball. Uh, so we've got all that time. We love that you spent the time with us now. We hope you spend more of it with us uh, next time, and we can't wait to see you then. Until then, have a great week, everybody.